We're going to start in 2 Chronicles chapter 12, starting in verse 1. The Bible reads, It came to pass when Rehoboam had established his kingdom and had strengthened himself, he forsook the law of the Lord and all Israel with him. It's an interesting verse. Why does it seem so difficult and so challenging to live for God when everything's going well? There are very dangerous times in your walk with God. Of course, a dangerous time is when nothing seems to be going your way. But another equally as dangerous moment in life is when everything seems to be going okay or everything seems to be back on even keel. It's almost as if that level of desperation just kind of subsides. If there's always trouble in your life, if there's always a little element of chaos, if everything never quite seems to be just right and everything hunky-dory, maybe it's just the Lord who knows what would happen if everything got A-OK. But Rehoboam, he establishes the kingdom. He strengthens himself and he forsakes the law of the Lord. And the, the, the horrific thing is that all of Israel goes with him because as goes the leadership, so goes the people. And it came to pass in the fifth year of Rehoboam that Shishak, king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem because they had transgressed against the Lord. They had turned their backs on the God of Israel, and so the God of Israel sent their enemies, their, 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 their mortal enemies from Egypt. He had brought them out of Egypt just generations previously, but now the Egyptians had recovered. They had regathered strength. They had crossed uh, the Sinai Peninsula. They had come to the land of Judah. They came in force, verse 3 tells us, 1,200 chariots. Three score thousand horsemen. There's more people in this army than in all of Watertown. And the people were without number that came with him out of Egypt. The Lumims and the Sukiims and the Ethiopians. And he took the fenced cities which pertained to Judah and came to Jerusalem. He forsook the Lord. He turned his back on it all because he got strong in his own walk. He got strong in himself and he forgot it wasn't him that got him there. So the prophet comes to Rehoboam and to the princes of Judah. They're all gathered together in Jerusalem now because of Shishak. And he says unto them, thus saith the Lord, ye have forsaken me and therefore have I also left you in the hand of Shishak. And so hearing this, the princes of Israel and the king, they humbled themselves and they said, the Lord is righteous. They humbled themselves. They realized that they were wrong. God was right, that their punishment was just and deserved. And so the Lord in verse seven, he saw that they had humbled themselves. The word comes back to the prophet Shemaiah and he says, they've humbled themselves. I will not destroy them, but I will grant them some deliverance. Everybody say some deliverance. And my wrath shall not be poured out upon Jerusalem by the hand of Shishak. Nevertheless, 
They shall be his servants, that they may know my service and the service of the kingdom of the countries. See, they were willing to serve. They were willing to to repent. They were willing to humble themselves. uh, But they stopped at a point of some deliverance. They stopped at a point where the the agony and the chaos got a little bit better, but they were never completely freed. Uh, Now, the Bible doesn't really tell us if God would have been willing to completely wipe out the people of Egypt, if he would have been willing to push them or not. But I have a hard time believing that if Rehoboam hadn't led the people deeper into repentance and deeper into humility, that the God... uh, who even in the land of Nineveh was so moved by the repentance and even by the repentance of Ahab and by the repentance of Manasseh a little further down the line of David, that God uh, would have moved beyond some deliverance. How many times do we come to the house of God and we feel the presence of God we feel the goodness of God. We feel the mercy of God. We, we feel his goodness and we get the tingles down our spine and we, we can feel his presence and we know everything in our life is not right. It's not perfect. It's not good. But we're reassured because, oh, thank God, I can still feel him. I can go another week. That's satisfied with some deliverance. That's satisfied with some level of God working, but we're settling for less than what God wants to provide for us. And so, Shishak in verse 9 comes up against Jerusalem and he took away the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house. And he took everything that they had. The Bible adds this note at the end of the verse. He carried away also the shields of gold which Solomon had made. Instead of which, Rehoboam made shields of brass and committed them to the hands of the chief of the guard that kept the entrance of the king's house. And when the king entered the house of the Lord, the guard came and fetched them and brought them again into the guard chamber. And when he humbled himself, the wrath of the Lord turned from him that he would not destroy him altogether. And also things in Judah went well. So Rehoboam strengthened himself. He reigned 17 years. He did all of these things. He put his name there. But the Bible sums it up in verse 14 in this matter. He did evil because he prepared not his heart to seek the Lord. Rehoboam was prepared, was prepared to settle for appearance and not relationship. When the enemy came in and took everything of value out of the house of God, uh, it wasn't a peripheral defeat. It wasn't a, a city on the edge of Judah. They marched all the way into Jerusalem. They breached the walls of the capital city and they marched the army of a pagan country into the temple of the Lord. They looted every bit of treasure out of the temple and they took the shields of gold that his father had invested 
invested in. Uh, these were heavy shields, large uh, decorative shields of solid gold that his father had created. But Rehoboam, in, in the absence of Shishak, when the enemy retreated and God gave them some deliverance, God gave them some uh, liberty, God gave them some freedom, uh, Rehoboam, we never read about him weeping again. We never read about him seeking after God again. We never read about him sacrificing like Solomon and David sacrificed to that level. We never read uh, ever again about Rehoboam humbling himself. The only footnote about him is that he did not prepare his heart to seek the Lord. uh, And instead uh, of taking everything he had uh, and putting it back into the temple, Rehoboam decided instead, you know what? Uh, I'll just make some shields of brass. You see, gold has value because it's scarce and it's pure. If I surveyed the room tonight, who would rather have a large shield of gold or brass? I'm pretty sure we know what the answer would be. These shields, if, I, if I'm remembering correctly, I did not write it down, but were probably about 15 to 20 pounds apiece. That's a lot of gold. That's a lot of value. That's a lot of time and finance that was invested in it. That's a lot of sacrifice that was put in it. And when it was taken away because they had fled their God, uh, Rehoboam was not interested in paying the price that those that went before him paid. Uh, And so he chose instead, I just want to keep up appearances. Uh, I just want it to look good. Uh, I want it to appear right. I want it to appear like everything's still going on. You see, everybody knew, but they allowed appearances to be maintained. There's just something about, there's something about the value of what we have in the house of God. It was not purchased cheaply. The the open heaven over this, this city and this church was not purchased cheaply. Now, we did not earn it by works. That's not what I'm saying at all. But there was a lifestyle of prayer and of fasting and consecration. Uh, And God help us if we ever think or get to a place where we think we can just coast and let off the gas uh, and lay back and say, you know what? Uh, Let's just enjoy the fruits of our efforts. Let's pull down the barns. Uh, Let's build up bigger barns. Uh, No, uh, in that moment, when we begin to get self-sufficient and self-focused, there's an enemy that can swoop in and snatch away all that is of value and all that is precious and good. And I refuse to settle for a cheap imitation. I refuse to settle for something that keeps up appearances. I refuse to settle just for a skilled worship team uh, and a good greeting team and clean carpet and nice air conditioning. No, uh, I want the real things of value in the house of God. Uh, I want the presence of God that fills this place. Uh, I want the things that were sacrificed for. Uh, I want the things that my fathers fought for. Uh, I want the things of God uh, that we have fasted for. uh, We've prayed over. uh, We've stood in unity together. uh, We've given towards. uh, I don't want just a cheap imitation. uh, I don't want to prop something up and say that this is going to be good enough. I don't want to just talk about miracles and signs 
and wonders and hold it up like it's it's some sort of badge of honor. No, I want to experience them. I'm talking to somebody tonight. I pray there's a stirring in a heart and in a mind, a refusal to settle, a refusal to say this is good enough. We've had good church this Sunday. I can't wait to go home. I feel that. I understand that. I I get that. But there's a call from God, like we heard last night, for a church to come through a door and get back to climbing. God's calling a church higher. And how many in this place are going to make up in their mind and their heart? I refuse to settle. I don't want to stay where I was. Was, uh, but I want to go higher. Uh, I don't want to just have the appearance. Uh, I don't want to have good church, whatever that really is. Uh, I want a move of God. Uh, I want the presence of the Lord. Mm. Rehoboam tragically trades that which is pure and valuable for that which is just a shiny mixture of metals. Gold, gold is very valuable. The the value changes on the day, but I do believe at this point it's still over $2,000 per ounce. Brass is not sold by the ounce. Brass is sold by the pound. Brass is sold for just a fraction of, a fraction of the price of gold. You see, there are some places in God that really are only going to have value because of their purity. They're they're going to have value because somebody consecrated and somebody cleaned and somebody swept out the house and somebody began to fill it with the presence of God. And there are some vessels that are earth and some vessels that are wood, but then there are some vessels that are silver and gold. Uh, God help us if we ever reach a place of satisfaction uh, with a shield that's all shined up because from a distance, brass can appear to be gold. That's why Rehoboam did it. You can shine it up. You can breathe on it a little bit and rub it with your sleeve and make sure that it looks all good. And as as the soldiers filed in, as he came into the temple to make sacrifice, the bodyguard would file in and they would have these big shiny shields. Uh, But Rehoboam and everybody else knew that that was not gold. It was brass. See, we can put on whatever front, we can put on whatever air we want in our own lives, but I refuse to settle for something that just looks good. I don't want to just look holy. I don't want to just look like a Christian. I don't want to just act like a Christian. I want it to flow uh, out of a pure and clean heart. I, I want it to be a hunger deep down inside of my life. I, I don't want to just dress in a in modest manner. I, I don't want to just not cuss and not drink because those are the rules of involvement in the church. No, that's just a brass shield that I'm going to put up uh, to keep up appearances and put up airs in front of everybody else. No, uh, I want there to be something of value down inside, uh, that the enemy's not going to be allowed to step into the temple and steal from my life. See, I don't want to settle for less than God intends for his people. The Lord commands us, be ye holy, for I am holy. And I ask you tonight, who are you being holy for? Is it 
for your brother, your sister? Is it is it for the leadership of the church or is it ultimately for God? Who are you trying to please? Who are you living uh, to measure up to? What is the standard? Are you comparing yourself uh, and, and, and are you happy with something that appears to be gold and appears to have value from a distance? But tragically, ultimately, we all we all know. Rehoboam always knew that those were not golden shields. The people always knew that those were not golden shields. Matthew chapter 15 and verse 20. There's two more portions of scripture. I told you I'm going to move quickly tonight. Reading in verse 21, actually, Jesus goes thence and departed into the coasts of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coasts and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with a devil. Any parents in the house? But he answered her not a word. You ever feel like Jesus is just not answering? Yeah, I have. He, he didn't say anything to her. Now, the Bible says she cried unto him. She didn't just come and say, hey, uh, you know, maybe, maybe, Jesus, if you're not too busy later, squeak it in your day planner. Maybe my daughter has a devil. You know, you take care of it. She cried unto him. She's, she's following him from a distance and she's screaming, Jesus, my daughter has a devil. And he's not even talking to her. And his disciples came and they're like, Jesus, Lord, send her away. Get her out of here. She crieth. After us, it wasn't a one time cry. It was an ongoing request. She kept hollering to the point that even the disciples were like, dude, she's making a scene. Let's get her out of here. But he answers and says to them, I'm not sent to the lost sheep or but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she's not content to cry from a distance. But even though he has not said anything to her, now she comes to him and falls and worships him and says, Lord, uh, help me. Uh, See, we've got to get to a place where even if it seems like Jesus is not answering, and even if it seems like our requests are falling on deaf ears and I'm crying out with everything that I got, I'm not going to settle for no answer, but I'm still going to come and I'm going to worship him and say, Lord, uh, you're the only help that I have. Uh, You're the only hope that I have. Uh, Come on, somebody, even when it seems like you've been praying for years, uh, would you still fall to your knees uh, and begin to worship him uh, because he's the only option. He's the only prayer that you have. But he answers, finally, finally, Jesus answers her. You think she'd be ready to hear Jesus say something encouraging. He's ignored her as she cries. She falls and worships. Gives you a signal, by the way, of how powerful your worship is. 
She falls and worships him. And finally an answer comes. And Jesus says, it's not meat for me to take the children's bread and cast it to the dogs. Uh Oh. And almost everybody would have stood up and said, you know what? Forget this. I'm out. He just called me a dog. Here I am coming to him, worshiping him, and he called me a dog. But ears of faith don't hear like ears of flesh hear. Eyes of faith don't see like eyes of flesh see. See, ears of, ears of flesh hear that there's no answer coming and they hear something they don't want to hear and so they close up and they stiffen up and they get a bad attitude uh, and they refuse to worship. Uh, but ears of faith hear something uh, and what she heard was there was a glimmer. There was a sliver of hope. There was a door that was just cracked open uh, and so ears of faith respond to him and say, truth, Lord. Yet the dogs do eat of the crumbs uh, which fall from their master's table. Uh, What are your ears hearing today? It might dictate whether you've got ears of flesh uh, or ears of faith. Uh, If you've got eyes of flesh uh, or eyes of faith. uh, If the Lord's not answering, uh, how are you responding? Are you settling uh, for that supposed rebuke? uh, Or are you pushing past what looks like a rebuke to others? uh, But it's a sliver of faith that you can grab a hold of. And Jesus says to her, O woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee, even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. There was a woman who refused to settle, even when her eyes and her ears were telling her that it was not going to happen. She saw something in faith, and she grabbed a hold of it. I want to tell somebody tonight, ignore what your eyes of the flesh are telling you. Ignore what the ears of the flesh are telling you. Ignore the fact that it It seems like you haven't got an answer uh, and refuse to settle uh, for less, but rather uh, you keep pushing forward in faith. Luke chapter 18 and verse 1. Last portion of scripture as we draw to a close tonight. And he spake a parable unto them to this end that men ought always to pray and not to faint, saying, There was. In a city, a judge which feared not God nor regarded man. The brilliance of this parable is that is virtually every city and every country all across the world. There is in a city, a judge that does not fear God nor regard man. And there was a widow in that city and she came unto him saying, avenge me of mine adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, though I fear not God, nor regard man. Yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. How selfish is this judge? Man, I'm tired of listening to her. I better just give her what she wants. Any parents in the house? <laughs> no, don't, don't respond to that. It's not a great parenting tactic. We could pause for a moment. Don't give them what they want just because you're annoyed. All right, I got one amen. He's tired of listening to her. And so he gives her what she wants. 
So she'll leave him alone and keep his court docket clear. Maybe, maybe he had a fishing trip planned that Friday afternoon and he's about to walk out and hop on his little yacht in the Sea of Galilee, throw a net out and hang out with the other judges from around the region. But as he's about to leave the courtroom, in walks a little widow woman one more time. Uh, she'd been there every day that week. She'd been pounding uh, on the doors of the courtroom and now she's interfering with his fishing trip and his weekend getaway. And so he says, fine, I'll give you what you want. And the Lord said, hear what the unjust judge saith. Shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? I tell you, he will avenge them speedily. You see, God, God has promised to avenge his own elect. And that elect is me and you. That elect is his children. That elect are his sons and daughters. Those that are willing to cry day and night unto him. Though he bear long. It's the ever present challenge of living for God. The fact that we exist in time and he exists outside of time. And he sees the end from the beginning. He's spoken words of promise and in his mind they are already done and already performed. Because he steps outside of time. But we plod day by day, sunrise after sunrise and sunset after sunset through. Not seeing the answer done yet. But God has promised I'm going to avenge speedily. But he finishes the parable by saying this. Nevertheless, when the son of man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? When Jesus comes again, is there going to be anybody with the faith of this little widow woman? Is there going to be anybody with the faith uh, of this Syrophoenician woman? Uh, is there going to be anybody that's not going to be satisfied uh, with appearance and it's not going to be satisfied with good enough, uh, but they're hungry and they're desperate uh, and they're desiring for God to answer their request? Let's all stand in this place together tonight. Is there going to be anybody? Will there be faith on the earth? Now, I know it's a Wednesday night. And I'm getting some blank stares. That's all right. Because there are some men and women in this house tonight that have been praying some prayer requests for a while. And I just want to tell you tonight, don't settle. Stop listening to the spirit of the age and the spirit of this region that would tell you why bother, why try, why push. Uh, come on, that youth group is never going to explode. Uh, that loved one's never going to come back. Uh, there's never going to be a thousand member church in South Dakota. That is a lie from the enemy. Because if you can get the people of God uh, to settle for shields of brass uh, instead of something valuable and precious, uh, and they'll just be worried about keeping up appearance. We could have great church all the way up until the rapture comes and completely miss out on the purpose of being the body of Christ.
But I refuse to settle for just this lovely group of faces. I love your faces. I I love coming here on a Wednesday night and fellowshipping with you. Uh, But there ought to be every seat in the house filled. Uh, It ought to be filled with your lost sons and daughters. Uh, It ought to be filled with your lost parents. It ought to be filled with your lost brothers and sisters. It ought to be filled uh, with your neighbors. Uh, And there's going to be a church in Watertown uh, that refuses to settle uh, and says, God, uh, here I am again. Uh, I'm pounding on the door. You're bearing long, uh, but I'm coming again uh, and I'm going to interrupt. And God has promised, God uh, has promised he will avenge them speedily. So is there anybody tonight? You don't have to come to the front. You don't have to move out of your seat. But it would, if you are, if you are tired uh, of the enemy coming at your mind and chirping at you and telling you that it's not worth your effort or your energy, uh, would you slip a hand in the air tonight? See, I, I, I refuse to settle. We've got a good thing going here in Watertown, South Dakota. We've got a good thing going at the Jesus Church, but we would be mistaken to take our foot off the gas uh, because God is calling us higher. God is calling us closer. God is calling you, uh, not just not just leadership, not just a select few, but every man, woman, and child under the sound of my voice. God uh, is calling you deeper. God wants to join hands with you. God wants to partner with you and God wants to begin to operate in your life. Every person in this room, uh, God can move through. Uh, God can be with you when you go into Walmart or to wherever you go. God uh, wants to use you to pray people through to the baptism of the Holy Ghost. He wants to do it through you. But we've got to make up one more time in our minds. I refuse to settle for less.